Welcome to the Fatherhood Challenge program. The Fatherhood Challenge is a movement to awaken and inspire fathers everywhere to take great pride in their role and to challenge society to understand how important fathers are to the stability of an environment and culture. We're going to encourage and challenge each other to step up and do courageous things that make our families and communities better places. So let's get to it. Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. Again, it's always good to have you with me. Today, we're dealing with a really interesting subject, a very sensitive one for many fathers. And the research shows it's more fathers than than we realize. And that's that's why that's exactly why we are doing this episode. And this episode has to do with fathers who are dealing with sons that have chronic addictions. In this case, we are touching specifically on the fentanyl addiction. And with me, I have my guest. His name is Robert Bradbury. And I have known him since at least high school. Um, So we've known each other for many, many years. And we touched base recently and kind of got caught up again and and uh, it was great to hear from him, uh, but the circumstances in which that happened were very, very difficult ones. And that's why we're here to share the story. Please, when at the end of this episode, I would appreciate it if you would share the story with as many fathers as you know that need to hear this. This is a very important story, a very serious message. And this is a true story. Jonathan, thank you for having me on. It is a privilege and an honor to have you on. And I'm I'm grateful that you're willing to come here and and tell your story. Let's start with a little bit with your the family history. Uh so tell me a little bit about what it was like for you just starting from the birth of your sons. What was the experience there? Well, Robbie's birth was nothing was not traumatic. It was a scheduled C-section with no complications. Uh, when we started seeing complications with him was when he was an infant and he was being bottle fed. You know, his mother wasn't able to lactate enough, so we had to use formula. Uh, we ran into issues with him being very colic. So we spent quite a bit of time trying new formulas and finding ones that worked. I, I started seeing some red flags with his mother right from the beginning because I would come home from work, find him in his car seat and a little bo- you know, a little pillow on him, you know, his chest, propping up the bottle. So that, you know, started giving me some red flags there. You know, most mothers would go ahead, you know, especially first time mother, hold their child and want to feed them. There's a mother-child connection. Well, not more than seven weeks. I mean, seven months after he was born, we separated. You know, she decided she wanted to go see other men. And I felt that wasn't acceptable in a brand new marriage. So we separated. Um, I moved back home, back to Keene. She moved in with her parents, taking my son with him. Unfortunately, way stay of Texas works. Mother has all the rights. Fathers come second. But I was young. I was 
point to at the time, so I know better. Um, by the time my son was 18 months old, his mother, you know, abandoned him, left him there to be cared for by her mother and father. Uh, she decided it was more important to chase men and drugs at that point in her life. Now, knowing any prior of her history, we don't know because she was adopted other than only thing we knew is her trying to search down any biological relatives. Only information we could gather was they were all deceased and they all had drug problems. So there was that's the only history we had from her. Now she went on to have a second son with another man, but did the same pattern of abandonment and being absent parent to her, you know, second son. Now, time Robbie was nine years old, you know, I was able to get his mother to sign over the paperwork to allow me to be custodial and her the non-custodial rights. So that allows me, you know, to be the one that he would live with. It, it cost me some money, but uh, with her being a drug addict, I paid her to, I exploited a loophole in order to get my son. I was uh, planning on doing a slow transition over, it, you know, with the grandparents. But at that time, the grandmother had a major heart attack. So I went ahead and executed that, you know, felt that was the best reason, you know, but this ended up causing a lot of drama between the families and ended up getting a lawyers involved but we were able to negotiate this you, you know pretty much the grandmother ass assumed the mother's you know rights because since the mother's been absentee now with this it, it's at that time that's when we started seeing behavior changes in my son before that we would have issues where he wouldn't want to come over on the weekends, and I think a lot of ha of that had to do with the grandmother's interaction with him because it was a very inappropriate relationship where she was emotionally dumping on him and would say things, oh, I'm going to miss you till you come back. You know, things that they would say in a – they tell you not to say in a co-parenting class because you don't want to put – guilt onto the child then the child feels the guilt you know well i i shouldn't go to the other parent because this parent feels so bad and totally inappropriate uh, i wish i really could have gone through to her on that one but it made life a lot difficult so that's when we started seeing his behavior ch patterns change from adhd to now being upset you know he was mad at me uh, he would – he started really acting out. He was breaking property. He was lying to us. Uh, he was, started hurting animals. You know, all these things were denied as accidents at first. Oh, it was an accident. Oh, your cell phone accidentally fell in the fish aquarium. Really? So that that's when the pattern started happening. And as it progressively got worse, you know, we ended up having to take action when he told a therapist – Oh, I feel like I'm going to kill myself. So at, at that time, you know, I have no choice but to admit him into a Cook's Children's 
program. And, you know, that's a children's hospital over here. It, it took multiple hospitalizations and multiple testing for him to get the diagnosis of ODD, Oppositional Defiance Disorder. Uh, he had the ADHD uh, diagnosed before. And he actually did show improvement with medicine with it, but I do feel ADHD is one of the ones that are overly diagnosed these days. Oh, teacher can't do their job? Here, your kids needs pills. But anyway, uh, sorry to digress on that. As his behaviors got worse, we started seeing him e even developing even greater alarming patterns. We went from hurting animals to actually killing animals. And that's when we tried to seek out help for him and look at resident care facilities. Because we only had him on state insurance, there was a limited amount of resource we could get. And the ones that would be willing to take him, as soon as we told him about harming animals and killing them, they didn't want anything to do with him. I would We heard the same excuses over and over again. Either Number one, he was, let me back up. He's a obese, very big child. His mother is six foot two. I'm six foot. So there's, he, he was genetically going to be a very tall person. And on top of that, he was an emotional eater. And so he, he was a big boy. But the other issue they would solve was he, they felt, you know, him hurting animals was more harmful would put the other patients at harm's way so they were more now the odd about, part of that is is what we're talking about here correct these symptoms that we're describing these yeah. are the symptoms of an odd yeah oppositional defiance disorder okay I, there's a, another issue that parents may see that they go hand in hand which is conduct disorder and to be honest he falls under the category of conduct disorder, and I've never seen this until I was preparing my notes for this program. And conduct disorder, you know, is, you know, directly saying property theft, you know, damage, aggression towards people and animals. And it frustrates me that why didn't these professionals even tell me this? You know, I mean, my gut's telling me he's hurting animals every show you see about you know serial killers oh they start off hurting animals so my gut's telling me i gotta do something about this child you why know, do you think they missed that diagnosis i don't know you know for the imdv you know whether it's new or whether they just didn't want to address it but the odd is just to explain that to the other parents you know, that's where you're fighting against um, rules. Uh, yeah, people of authority, parents, teachers, uh, best way to describe it is, say, if uh, it's more common with, you know, a daughter acting out, you know, willing to tell you off. That's a good way of ODD, but not this actual violence, per se. And that's what conduct disorder is. There's an, another episode that's being planned uh, where I will be talking with uh, an, an expert on those subjects to kind of clarify some of those differences and, and talking about um, 
different options to to deal with those signs when when they're spotted and also how to avoid them so that will be a completely different episode but it sounds to me like um if i'm understanding this correctly where all of these symptoms where everything that we're talking about so far it originated from abandonment a history of chronic abandonment is does that sound right to you that's absolutely correct you know the with the mother i think the abandonment issue actually started with the mother herself you know she was adopted at age 13 and the her history what was said was i it, it's very vague but somehow the her actual biological mother couldn't take care of her so she was relinquished over to the biological mother's uncle or our brother it, it, so it would have been her uncle you know for care but he was a trucker and didn't feel that was a lifestyle for her and that's when he relinquished her over to the state so right there we have you know inability to form attachments where did this lead from here so now we have this family history um, of abandonment and now we have him acting out uh, later in years with ODD, but at least that's the diagnosis. And then, but the behavior is really like a CD behavior. Where does this go from here? It didn't leave me much room as a parent to try get treatment for him, other than uh, address the issue and try treat the issue at, at the time. So at, as time went on, all, all I could do is try keep him under surveillance i i have cameras but you know keep animals away from him you know just under constant monitor plus we've kept them in the therapy sessions though and also um pharma pharmacology treatments as well so i so he was under medication you know medication itself doesn't help it, it can help alleviate some of the symptoms therapy sessions i i didn't feel they were very helpful you know i had to do those in order to be try provide the best care i can for my child but unfortunately you know unless a person wants to change it, it doesn't mean anything with one thing i've learned and uh through watching my son go through these different treatment programs and speaking with other parents that have gone through similar circumstances of their kids having to go through multiple treatment programs. These kids are smart. They learn real quickly how to manipulate the system, say what they need to say in order to either be admitted or get back out of the system. I had on a couple times, you know, my son try to pull the stunts because he just didn't want to go to school. Oh, I feel like I'm going to kill myself or, you know, tell somebody authority who's a licensed, you know, individual. And so now I'm forced to act upon this or else I can be reported to child protective service if I don't act upon it and get my son, you know, the necessary help he needs. So it really twists my arm there. As we got, you know, into high school, he pretty much lost half of his freshman year from acting out. So 
the rest of the time of high school, you, he never had any problems at school itself, you know, with confrontation with people or anything of that nature that would would have been alarming that you would maybe see with other kids. No bullying. What we ran into was the issues were at home. Um, he didn't have any friends outside of school other than online through his game, you know, th through the games console. So he was very socially withdrawn that way. I mean, I immediately see that as a sign of depression. So we kept trying to treat that. You know, I really wanted him to have a normal high school experience, go on school functions, have friends outside of school, try and push him to do that. Nothing would work. Um, so he kept withdrawing. Then we started getting more behavioral issues into him soiling himself and discussing as it sounds. I won't go into details of that through this huge journey. I, I believe that one was actually a control issue. You know, this is my body. I could control my functions. This is my way of controlling. I, I've kept him in therapy till 2016. At that time, I went through a split with my second wife and I was working second shift, which is from 2 p.m. to like 10 p.m. So I wasn't home in the evenings. I was trying to remotely help parent him, you know, parent him while he was still living with me, but he was pretty much taking care of himself in the evenings. But at age 16, it's like uh, there's uh, enough that he can be independent. And so I was trying to give him ways to help develop himself. But a week prior to, or let me jump back. In 2016, he decided to try to commit suicide by overdosing on Adderall medicine that I take. And a week prior to that, I just put a new router in place at home and set it to cut off the internet at 10 o'clock at night in a reasonable time because he was staying up late. His grades weren't looking good. And I, that was the only way I can remotely parent. But there was no major filtering on it or anything, just trying to be a parent, you know, a single parent at that time. But from the moment he tried to commit suicide, I, I no longer could t take care of him because I felt he needed to be now under constant supervision. He went to go live with my brother and he did really good there. Uh, he lived in a a converted shed in a, one of these prefab all wood sheds that was made into his bedroom, had AC unit, the internet. Did good there for two years or three years. You know, finished high school out, got that done. Um, live, uh, went through a semester of college. Then second semester rolls around. He decided to drop out of college and lie about it, causing drama. and end up having to go live with my brother, other brother, and they moved to his shed there. He stayed there for um, about nine months, but at that point, he started to dive into drugs. Prior to that, I, I learned, you know, he was 
you know, smoking weed and was okay with that, but, you know, wasn't out of control. But when he moved again, that's when he dived out of control and started taking hallucinogens. Um, he ended up taking a lot of a hallucinogen. I, it's not LSD. It was some other one that's on the market. I can't think of it at the moment. But it was designed in a lab. And it was designed actually to give you a, a bad trip so they could watch your brain on one of these PET scans. But he escaped the labs and it's dirt cheap on the drug market. And they'll sell it as LSD. But it's like half the cost. Anyway, um, he, when he was tripping on this, managed to stumble his way down to my parents' house, get very aggressive while he was tripping out, attacked my bro uh, my mother, and broke her kneecap. Since that point forward, he, she's been disabled. He ended up having to get arrested, spent two nights in jail. After that, his drug habit got worse. He started diving into opiates. Um, I know he had to been Narcan multiple times, at least six times before he's passed away from fentanyl overdose. I have friends on the Keene Fire Department, and they couldn't tell me exactly, you know, they had to Narcan him because of HIPAA laws. But what they could say was code is, hey, I saw your uh, son at the store yesterday. So that told me, okay, there was an incident. We started, you know, really getting onto him after he went to jail, you know, telling him, no, you stop doing these drugs. You know, you don't need it. You know, and we kept an eye on him. That's when he decided to move out into his own apartment with a druggy roommate. And from that point on, there was no control. So during that time, during that time, was his primary drug fentanyl or was he doing some other drugs with that? We don't know exactly. He would say it was Xanax or bars, but these are all drugs that are counterfeited and, you know, pressed with fentanyl. We saw, you know, his behaviors where he was really slurring speech, sleep, sleeping a lot. Uh, we had a couple him wrecking his car a few times nobody was hurt but it, it was clear that he was driving under the influence uh one of the times he actually landed his car in the ditch 90 degrees up on its side and, and that's when we really got on to him it's like no you gotta quit this this is you're going to kill yourself we didn't know we were dealing with fentanyl lace drugs or i mean he was taking it in fact, the only way we knew about him taking fentanyl was post the fact of him dying. According to the what the DEA says about fentanyl, uh, it's 80 to 100 times stronger than morphine. And the symptoms, um, and you, you said something to this fact as well. They're, they resemble other opioid drugs as well, uh, and it produces effects like relaxation, euphoria, 
pain relief, sedation, confusion, drowsiness, dizziness. Um, a few others would be respiratory depression. So any of those symptoms that I just mentioned, does it seem at all like those symptoms were an attempt to mask some other pain going on inside him, whether it's an emotional pain and what part of those symptoms you think were trying to mask what pain? I, I think he was, you know, trying to suppress his emotional pains of abandonment and f for me taking him away from his grandmother. But also on the other side, you know, he was, you know, it'd be the euphoria, you know, in relaxation because he was still smoking weed. And so I think he was trying to take it to the next level. You know, he's been, you know, with him having ODD, you know, he was always reactive and never, you know, stop and let me think about my consequences. It was always just jump into what he wants. And that was it. The more I learn about this fentanyl, the more it scares me. Uh, according to DEA, a lethal dose is two and a half milligrams. Uh, that's enough powder to fit on the lead point of a sharpened pencil. And these, you know, drug dealers are just pressing these pills like crazy. I mean, you can you can go on Alibaba and buy the templates for these tablets. It's that accessible. The uh, according to some of the news reports I read, China is shipping in these fentanyl. These drug rings do not care uh, about your kid. All they care about is their bottom dollar. If your kid dies, oh well, there'll be some other you know kid come along and they will sell pills to. I mean, they just up in uh, around the Great Lakes, there was a huge bust for fentanyl where they seized 1,200 kilograms of it. But that's enough to kill three million people. It's that toxic. That's crazy. That's actually pretty scary. But yeah. what is what are some of the signs a father should be looking for that should send up red flags that that his son or daughter might be doing fentanyl or just any drugs? I would start looking for changes of patterns. You know, has their behavior changed? Um, what is there something they used to do and they love to do no longer care to do it? Has their friends changed? Who they're hanging out with? You know, is this a a different crowd? Um, what are their spending patterns? You know, drugs aren't cheap, and, and so they're going to be having to spend. You know, get money for this one way or another. You know, are they stealing from you? Do they actually have money? So what I, I suggest to any parent is trust your gut. You know, if something seems off, investigate it. Is, is there a, a, a foul smell coming from your kid's room? You know, are you smelling burning plastic? Uh, or are you smelling weed? Investigate it. You know, if your child is living under your roof, you nothing is off limits. You have every right you can to go through their stuff. Because it's your duty as a parent to make sure you're doing what you can to 
raise your child and keep them safe. And this, if this means violating personal space to keep them alive, do it. Robert, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It's been very meaningful and very impacting. And I know there's a lot more to come for the sake of time. We're going to go ahead and wrap things up here and we're going to continue the rest of the story in the next episode. Thank you.